You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 593, The Making of Bridge Over Troubled Water, Terrible Albums by Great Artists, and Getting Triggered by Trigger Warnings. That's all coming up after Republica and Ready to Go.
endlessly in television and film and on adverts mm. over the years from Georgia Asda to Halfords and <laughs> Dairy Queen. Still st- sounds absolutely fantastic in its own right from 1997, number 56 on Billboard, number 13 in the UK, Republica ready to go. I forget the fact it was an international hit for them, wasn't it? And I'm not surprised. It's got that real, like you say, commercial sound to it. On the rooftop, shout it out. It's Indeed. what an absolute banger. Uh, that for sort of time in the late 90s, early 2000s, I used to go semi-legally, then legally to Hastings Beer Festival, um, which was in the park. And they'd have sort of, it still goes on, they'd have sort of big stages and bands on. The, and um, if you were a cover band with a female singer, it was the law that you did that, I think, for about four or five. <laughs> years so many of those bands i've got a female singer they'll do yeah ready to go um so yes it's it's a great song i mean very part of me thinks it's of its time and part of me still thinks no actually it's just a really good loud pop rock song isn't it really i'm not sure they ever age truly absolutely and um currently keyboard extra info keyboard player tim dorney is now a painter and decorator Mm. and singer saffron now working as a mental health nurse Good for her. For Fair her. Day. Absolutely. Welcome along to Parish Council episode 593. I'm Terence Stackham. And it's simply the question everyone is asking this week. Has she been exchanging WhatsApp messages with Matt Hancock? <laughs> Let's ask Juliet Harris. I've only just got to grips with how to use his app and he's got rid of it. So I'm not I'm not what's what's happening, Matt Hancock. I seem to be the only person in Britain that isn't, though. I have to say yeah. I had a the person that has been WhatsApping him, Isabel Oakshot. Mm. I had a, a lovely moment this morning where I say lovely. It was certainly an interesting moment where I have a radio, I have an alarm, radio alarm clock and it's set on Radio 4. And it went off this morning during the you know, they have the two big interviews. They have the quarter past mm. seven and the ten past eight. It went off during the quarter past seven. And I woke up and I thought, what, what's going on? on here they've got one of those ranty teenage activists on she's very cross isn't she what's going on she makes no sense at all is this someone from the taxpayers alliance who on earth is this is she about is she ranting about school meals what's going on all of a sudden everything fell into place when the dulcet tones of nick robinson said isabel oakshot thank you and i thought ah oh, that's who that is great as you were carry on so I, yes I, she yes. is i'm not anyway yes. hi everyone no, I, I heard that exchange it was uh very weird a, i felt a like very I strange yeah. moment yes and um yeah she, I, she was on um television last night as well make you know arguing the same points and i just felt that in in both cases with nick robinson this morning and with tom newton dunn last night mm. on tv she would have it surely have anticipated the line of questions yes. that was going to come about <laughs> the disclosure, you know, the, the non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, and, and but she didn't seem to have a proper answer repair, was, prepared. She just seemed to um, try the "I'll jump down your throat" type of. It was, uh, it was crazy, and of course, uh, one suspects there's an extra dimension to this story when you remember that her partner is Richard Tice of Indeed. Reform. So, but uh, yes, a, a very sort of scatter shot. I wondered if she typed out her response on cue cards and dropped them, and then kind of <laughs> sort of had to pick them up because it was very sort of random, wasn't it? Yes. It was. It was like the time that um. Uh, what was I talking to the other day? Oh, my friends were watching one of those four-part, dra- three-part dramas from ITV. Oh, it was the, um, I think it was Stonehouse, but they watched the last one first and they couldn't <laughs> quite understand. Like, well, this is quite innovative, isn't it? They're going to go back and explain how they found him. No, they had, in fact, watched the last the, the, the last one first. So maybe that's her issue. Maybe she's just a scrambled DVD menu. I remember a letter in the Daily Telegraph 
two or three years ago now, where someone had uh, gone on a long drive um, from London up to Manchester or mm. somewhere. And they were listening to, I think it was a Sherlock Holmes. Oh, I remember um, this, I think. Yes. Audio disc. That's right. And they thought, God, this plot is so confusing. And they just <laughs> couldn't understand it at all. And of course, when they, by the time they got to Manchester, they realised that they'd had it on um, shuffle, shuffle play. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's great. This is like Memento, but even more chaotic, isn't it? Why can't everything be like Memento? Sometimes um, an album becomes so embedded in culture that we, in a sense, take it for granted. In my case, I mean, there it sits engulfed with awards. But I think I hadn't played the bridge over troubled water mm. for at least 10 years. And I'm thinking maybe 20, possibly more Then this week. We watched, in my view, anyway, an absolutely fascinating and absorbing mm. documentary, The Harmony Game, The Making of Bridge Over Troubled Water, in which all key people were interviewed, Paul and Artie separately, of course, uh, their complicated mm. relationship, very hard to fathom to an outsider. I would say they tolerated each other, but also mm. loved and disliked each other. It, it's, yes. It's, complex in this documentary the songs from the album were remembered how they were written how they were recorded with insights from hal blaine and the wrecking crew and the key impact of producer roy halley mm. who with art and paul became a really rather magical combination mm. jules 50 years on i thought this was a valuable and revealing insight into the making of an absolutely classic album Yes, it was very good, although I'm going to have the the uh, slight criticism of it, the reverse of the criticism I usually give, um, which is usually, oh, you know, uh, you usually go, oh, there's, there's not enough detail, they skim past things. I actually had a slight headache by the end of this because it was really good. It was really, really good. But, God, they told you a lot of things, didn't they? I couldn't keep up. And, like, particularly early on, where it was just talking head after talking head after talking head. Mm. And I know it was them, and I know it was Roy the producer, and I know it was good. But I, I sort of sighed with relief when they showed you, like, two minutes of them playing the boxer on a bed because I just couldn't cope with any more information. <laughs> I, I, I really like the album like you do. I think it's great. Also a big fan of bookends as well. But no, Bridge Over Troubled Waters is such a wonderful collection of songs. I Yeah, the actual song itself, I think, has just been overplayed for me. I really mm. like it. I've just heard it too many times. Um, it's a bit but, sort of in the same category as like Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah, isn't it? And, and I'm not yes, in love. Exactly. You think, oh. Here we go yeah, again. Yeah, this, mm. this again. Yeah, exactly. More than a feeling. You know, you've sort of heard it constantly, yeah. even though it's still really good, obviously. But yeah, I thought this was really good, but I thought it was so dense that actually it felt like, to me, it felt like this should have been this should have been a several part series, which presumably you can watch in any order you want. But um, but it 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 should have been for me, it felt like they were crammed so much into this hour and eight minutes. It was like, actually, it was a bit bang, bang, bang. And then this happened and that happened. And this is that guitar sound. And this is this and this is that. And I did think a bit, oh, I would like this to be a bit more chilled, I think. I would have liked I would have liked it in two parts, maybe, or three parts. And they could have just calmed it down a bit in terms of the constant sort of contributions from people. It was really good and I really enjoyed it. But it was quite talky and I could have done with a bit less talking, I think, because because uh, there was just a lot having said that though one thing i really did like about them i mean i'm not entirely sure i could have been in a band with young young art garfunkel <laughs> I, I i think i would have something would have gone wrong at some point i suspect and it was very sad that they clearly they were so magic in how they worked together they knew exactly what to do and they i felt they almost loved each other too much really didn't they they just couldn't find a way of 
of of making that okay and how sad like you said they were interviewed separately but one thing that they were both really good at that musicians often aren't was they were very quick to acknowledge that the producer was what made them ultimately mm. and they were very quick to to sort of um praise other people both of them were actually and i thought they were unusually generous with musicians particularly musicians that have a reputation for having fallen out and maybe in our gun funkles case having been a bit difficult i thought that actually it was it you know that was very telling about them and paul simon always seems like a nice guy i think but yeah it was great but i just i could have done this in two in two slightly more relaxed 45 minute parts or even two hour parts with with you know with interspersed with a bit more footage and have it a bit calmer rather than this constant sort of on i mean go down your own channels i love drum sounds as much as anyone else does but there was this constant kind of onslaught of info maybe i was just tired i don't know but it was quite a lot for my little brain to take in no i think i think you're right it's it was an un, unusual t- um length it's one minute mm. sorry one hour and eight minutes and mm. i wonder i have no idea but i wonder if yes. it was actually Edited. set up to fill a 90 minute slot yes in america which would have been better i think much and, better and the 22 minutes extra ad for breaks? the commercials ad breaks yes so i think i would agree with you that perhaps if it had then therefore been made a two-hour show and then we could have had perhaps more of the music in between yes. the onslaught of information yeah um, i mean it was well, interesting and it was good and and i think that everyone was being honest and that and, and it was unusually mm-hmm. honest for an official thing we yeah. have this chat previously don't we that you know how revealing is an official thing ever going to be and this was more revealing than most actually so i will give them that yeah i although america was um, rather tearing itself apart in the 1960s, especially the differing views on the Vietnam War throughout the country. There was this wonderful optimism in popular music in America. And Mort Lewis, who um, is Art and Paul's manager, said, Mm. um, quote, each day was better than the day before. They, Simon and Garfunkel, kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And... um, I, I take what you say about our uncle's behaviour, but <laughs> in the late 1960s, he absolutely looked like an angel, and yes, he sang he like yeah. too. It just would have wound me up. He was. Oh a very yeah, I, I can understand. I just yeah, absolutely. Yeah, d- day in day out, he he would have mm. been challenging. Just um, so draining. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. I love American pronunciations, and so I really warmed to his Scarborough mm. fair. Yes, um, it was. Um, it was. I mean, I, I, you know, it was enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, I should not. I should not be as annoyed by him as I am. I definitely learned some new insights. It's fascinating mm. to know that their default vocal recording method to get the Simon and Garfunkel sound was for them to sing together and then also record solo and then bring those three vocal tracks together. And um, there was one, th- one, one thing as well that rather daftly in my case, because this song is in my top 20 of all time. Mm. I never realised that Tom in The Only Living Boy in New York was Garfunkel. And of course, that now makes sense because it echoed back to their teen years when they were mm. Tom and Jerry. And it's about of course, yes. Tom going, you know, he went off to play a pilot in Catch-22 down mm. on location in Mexico. Um, there was an, another... Um, a kind of snippet within it, which referred actually to another TV special. And I wanted to see what you made of this because it was fascinating to hear from Charles Grodin, who directed uh, this TV special back mm. in 1969, which was aired just a few weeks before the release of Bridge Over Troubled Water. So nobody knew the songs. And this TV show showcased 
uh, Simon and Garfunkel songs. But apparently, I've never seen it, the visuals included footage of JFK, Bobby Kennedy, mm. and tellingly Martin Luther King, amongst others. And sponsors mm. and TV stations, particularly in the South, were very unhappy. And as Paul Simon put it, more people watched uh, Peggy Fleming ice skating special on NBC at the same time. Isn't it? Isn't it so? I mean, this is only 50, well, 54 years ago. And um, I I suspect a lot of middle America has similar views even to this day. But how terribly sad. It um, was that, just dreadful. That, that was that, such that, a leading part of. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Of I completely, I completely agree. And like you say, perhaps parts of America we'd like to think they've changed, but maybe uh, they haven't. I don't know. And you know, may, people listening to this podcast may well have different views to us. But but it's huh? it was just very, just very. Must. Indeed, just if you insist. Um, yeah, it was. It was very, like you said, that was very sad and very telling, really. That, that mm. and and again, it made me think exactly as you've just said. I wonder how different this would be now. Is is Beyonce at the Super Bowl? Is that the norm or is that an exception? I'm not mm. sure. I've got one more th- one more point about this, mm. and I, I wonder if you'll agree with me. It's something I've never quite understood. The last song on the album is "Song for the Asking," which is a beautiful track. Oh, it could is. almost have been written by Paul McCartney. And yes. the fact that it's Paul Simon solo shows the feud sure into which they were heading, and so on. But here's my question: Why didn't they finish the album with the track "Bridge Over Troubled Water"? Yes, I mean it's the yes, first agreed. track. But surely it should close the album. It's like the end on Abbey Road. Yes. It would have been the big climax. It would have been the finale. I absolutely agree. It's That is a very strange decision that was made, wasn't it, really? Mm. I mean, it is a beautiful song, Song for the Asking. You're right. But um, it's it just would have been such a perfect... Um, mm. It would have been such a perfect kind of fitting sort of end, really. It's it's a song that has a genuine... There are times when I find it overblown, and there are times when it really kind of touches me, really. I can't explain. It's, it's There are moments where it's too much, and there are other moments where it's it's just right, really. It's a, it's a wonderful album. Um, anybody that has watched the TV programme Detectorist will think of Simon and Garfunkel slightly differently now because of their rival metal detecting gang. There is actually, if you who, who for viewers that don't know, listeners don't know, constantly get referred to as Simon and Garfunkel because they look like them. Um, brilliantly, their surnames are revealed to be Peters and Lee, which I thought was a very nice touch. But um, there's a, a meme that goes around the internet of the cover of Bridge Over Troubled Water, but with them on it instead of instead of Simon and Garfunkel. So, so Detectorist fans will enjoy that. But um, yeah, it would have been perfect. Um, you know, you've you've got mind you. Having said that, I would have sequenced this album differently, Sir Terence. When you look at the mm. second side, um, I'd have started with Baby Driver. Uh, so at the moment, that their version is the Boxer Baby Driver, Only Living Boy in New York. Why don't you write me Bye Bye Love and Song for the Asking? Um, if I was sequencing that to T, we would go Baby Driver, um, the Boxer. The only li- uh, sorry, we'd go Baby Driver. Why don't you write me the Boxer? Only Living Boy in New York. Bye Bye Love and then Song for the uh, 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 Song for the Asking. Sorry. I put Bridge Over Trouble Water at the end, like you would. Yeah. I would take it off the first side and put it on the second side. And I just don't think, as an album goes, it's terribly well sequenced. But all the songs are amazing. Well, this was the Harmony Game, the making of Bridge mm. Over Trouble Water, and it's available 
um, but via different resources all around the world. So recommended, but you need to Google to see where you can watch it. Yes. Generally for free in your um, your country or your area. Yeah, indeed. And also, don't watch it if you're tired. Try and try and take it in as much as you can. Don't be like me. Coming right up, terrible albums by great artists. Mm. That's next after you two. Six o'clock in the morning. You're the last to hear the warning You've been trying to throw your arms around the world You've been falling off the sidewalk You live smooth but you can't talk
long-term listeners of this podcast will be familiar with my opinions and views on Bono, the singer from U2, which are not always necessarily incredibly positive. And I find his ballast and bombast makes U2 occasionally a tedious experience for me. Having said that... I do an album listening club. We're having a little holiday at the moment with my pal Ed to keep in touch during lockdown, which we kept going. So we listen to a different album each each week at the end of the evening on a Sunday night. And we went through the alphabet city. Yes. So we took it in turns to pick a artist beginning with a letter of the alphabet. So we've just gone through 52 weeks of picking albums. And for you week, Ed inevitably picked you two, which I groaned at, Satie. I wasn't mm, looking forward mm. to it. But he picked Actung Baby. And I listened to this album. I've become completely obsessed with it, Terence. I listen to it once every other day. Mm. I absolutely love it. I love the Lanoir and, and Eno production on it. I think it's so good. And I love the vibe to that. I wish I'd seen them on that tour now. I love the fact that this is managers i just love the ambience on it i can imagine them playing it with sort of lots of low lights on the stage i think it's brilliant from actung baby it's you two and trying to throw your arms around the world i share very much your view on mr bono um mm. and his if ways. indeed that is your real name Paul. Wilson, <laughs> well, indeed. yes I, I and therefore i don't know much of you two's work yeah and i hadn't heard that before but it's really good i really great. enjoyed it that whole yeah. all of the singles from that album are good I'll listen um, to it's it. also got better than the real thing which is great the fly which sounds very good which is famous for being the out for being the song that put an end to brian adams's endless run at number oh, one which well, they then jolly well done you absolutely too, but partly yeah. because it was a deleted single it was deleted after a week so so um, oh, I'm a very, a very proud to have the seven inch of that. But um, yeah, there's some great stuff on there. If Even if you don't especially like you too, mm. I'd recommend Acting Baby. Well, all of that little run, actually, from the, the sort of the weird stuff from the kind of mid to late 90s. Also, Pop, which has got discotheque on it, which I've picked on the podcast yeah. previously. And, and you too, a bit weird and electro suits me nicely. Now, many is the debate and indeed argument about the best album of all time. Is it Rumours, mm. Abbey Road, Thriller, Hotel California, mm. Pet Sound, Sergeant Pepper? What's Perhaps going even, on? Yeah. What's going on? Perhaps even Bridge Over Troubled Water, some would mm, say. That's got to be up there, yeah. But this month, Rolling Stone has published the top 50, uh, what they call a genuinely horrible albums <laughs> by brilliant artists. And spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you their top five. Mm. At five, Bob Dylan and 1988's Down in the Groove, uh, described mm. as a stiff, lifeless collection of covers. Oh, dear. At four, Pantera and Metal Magic. Not only have I not heard this, I've never heard of Pantera, Pantera. or their mm. Metal Magic. At number three, Prog Rock Heroes, yes, and their 1991 album Union. Although Rick Wakeman calls it onion because it makes him cry, <laughs> he says. Oh, dear. In at number two, The Velvet Underground and from 1973, Squeeze with only one original member. It was a disaster. And it's got a nice cover, though. I'm a fan of the cover, but not much <laughs> what, what's, what's inside it. Zooming into number one in Rolling Stone's Horrible Albums by Brilliant Artists, Kanye West and Yee from 2018. I would debate the rating of Kanye West as a brilliant artist. Mm. Um, he's never made music less vital than this, says Rolling that Stone. That was so, such a whacker of a line. I like this article <laughs> very much. 
Well, we thought we would fan the flames by picking a handful of our own. And Jules, tell us about your uh, a couple of your awful albums from great artists. Well, so the first one I'm going to pick, actually two of these three I've picked because they just hugely disappointed me more than mm. anything else. So the first one, I'm really, really, really like this lovely little band called the Darling Buds. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're an alternative rock band yeah. from Wales. Um, they took their line from the Darling Buds of May. Um, mm. So their debut album, and I actually, although they, they, the debut album came out in 1990, uh, and usually their debut album was a compilation of their early songs and even though these came out in 1990 i got i bought these albums in order a few years ago and i absolutely loved it i'd heard them on a on a compilation years ago i'd heard shame on you and uptight and it is brilliant um my friend once described them as the primitives on a budget of 50p and i think that is a good description it's great power pop on not very much money and it sounds like a lot of cx86 style stuff and it's really good and i love it so imagine my excitement, said he, when shopping in the same emporium, I found a copy of their first album proper, which was released um, also in 1990. Um, they'd been signed to a major, major label, said he, to Epic. And they got a proper producer in Stephen Street, him that does Blur and The Smiths and all of the big stuff. They've got him. It's horrible, Terence. I hate it. Oh. It's it's really um, the production is like. What's it's called Crawdaddy. Sorry, right. I should tell you that. It's called That's Crawdaddy. Okay. And it's, oh, it's really not good. And the thing that I'm so sad about is that somehow they, they tried to up the production to match the songwriting and the kind of the pop immediacy of it and somehow managed to ruin both. It's it's really, it's got some echoey drum machine on it and it just it just doesn't work. And it's, the to me, the ultimate example of a band who deserved to become successful because they were really talented and then somehow did not know what to do with that success and did the mm. things they felt they ought to do when signed by a major, shoved into the studio with a big name producer and it just isn't very good, Satie. So I'm disappointed oh by that. It's a shame. However, I would very much, if shame on you, darling buds. However, I would very much recommend mm. Shame on You, the Native Years, because that is great. Crawdaddy is not. Tell us another one while you're there. For similar reasons, again, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> this is the ultimate uh, headmaster telling off, isn't it, really? Your parents sending you off. Um, so, uh, as regular listeners will probably know, one of my favourite bands of all time is Blur. And uh, when I was in lockdown, sort of in lockdown, slash coming out of lockdown, when I was off work for a few months, I was entering all of my CDs into my, my laptop and sort of put my library online. As a result of which, I did buy a few on eBay and I managed to get Blur did some lovely cd reissue box sets um i think it might have been 2012 wasn't it? It, was, it was basically to mark an anniversary they produced these things and they were really lovely and they've got little photographs in them and and you know extend expanded editions of you know all the b-sides are on them they're really definitive things and if you're a fan of blur they're really good and i think i bought all of them for like seven quid each or something. So they're worth scouting around for. They're great. And as I said to my friend at the time, the best thing about this is that I can pretend the Magic Whip does not exist because they <laughs> did this before the Magic Whip came out. The Magic Whip is an album produced by their last album. Um, it was some years after Think Tank, which was the album during which Graham Coxon left. And, they're in, you know, he's not on it very much. And so the Magic Whip was much anticipated. There'd been a couple of songs beforehand that had been, that had been 
been quite good, actually. I remember having sort of expectations for it. Released, it was 12 years since Think Tank that they released it in 2015. So as you can imagine, anticipation running high. Do you want to guess who produces it? Um, no, you tell me. It's Stephen Street. Oh, I'm beginning okay. to think I've got a, a I've got a vendetta <laughs> against Stephen Street, who I really like as a producer. I've never had an issue with him, and yet here he is producing the Magic Whip. Um, it's a bit limp, certainly, and this is the, this is the problem. I almost dislike average albums were worse and i hate really really awful yeah. ones because yeah. you know these bands have done records that i genuinely love that i think are brilliant and then you think oh this is all right i suppose and that for me is the most hateful sort of music this is all right i suppose rather than you know this is dreadful i can't listen to this i hate this who is that man in the trousers I, you know that's that's annoying stuff that is just all right from bands that have previously made you cry at how good they are that's disappointing for me city yes well this is exactly how i feel about the three that i've got i'll mention mm. the first two um it was exactly the same things that they're either a band or an artist that i have either have loved or still do love mm. and then to find them putting out something so appalling it's it's yeah, yeah, so exactly. take it personally it just isn't you know? very good it doesn't have <laughs> yeah. to be awful it just has to be not very good really well and that takes us to my first choice which i could have picked so so many actually i've always i, I had mm. quite a list earlier in the week, but i've narrowed mm. it down to my top three and at number three um the Clash and Cut the Crap. Oh, yes, I nearly this... picked that, but I thought you probably would, oh, so yeah. Really? Yeah, their sixth mm. and last album. What a terrible way to go out. Um, written disastrously. All tracks by uh, written by Joe Strummer and their manager, Bernie Rhodes, who um, was a second-hand car dealer with no mm. musical talent whatsoever. And it's a truly dreadful album. It's got 11 fillers and one kind of reasonable track, which is This Is England. Um, mm. which is safe because it barely features Bernie Rhodes. It's an absolutely awful production, throwaway songs. And I was listening to it um, this week, which is probably the first time in, I don't know, whatever it is, 40 years. They sound mm. like a really poor Sham 69 tribute band. They do. Was... They could be playing in any pub in West London yes. today in 1980 or whenever it was. Yeah. At number two, and here we talk about my very dearest, I mean, this is someone who I admire so much, my mm. very dearest, Joni Mitchell, who oh, no. I know ill-advisedly tried to reinvent herself in 1985 as a sort of one-woman Jefferson starship, mm. um, with her, really her worst album, Doggy Dog. Firstly, the cover probably they, why, they chose the, the poorest photo anyone could ever have found of <laughs> Joni Mitchell and sort of overexposed it kind of bleached it and she's looking as if she's about to be savaged by the crazed dogs that are featured on the cover it's absolutely <laughs> it's, dreadful it's not, it's, it doesn't look like somebody's having a good time it's and it doesn't sound like somebody's having a good time really well Thomas Dolby is a really very talented musician mm, and producer. Absolutely, yeah. But in 80, 1985, he should not have been invited to work on mm. this album. It's just the wrong person. He says in his credits, he says he produced it. And it's very interesting because in later mm. press, he's referred to in the liner notes by Joni um, as sound file assistance which mm. is very different in his view that he produced it the sad thing is that there's some really good songs on there including the opening track called good friends mm. which features mm. your um michael mcdonald yes indeed um, which is a treat 
That's right. But, I mean, the whole album is engulfed in 1980s synth washes, programming, sound effects. Mm. It, it's a Joni Mitchell album where a mad professor has pulled it apart and mm. rebuilt it as if Joni Mitchell is meatloaf. So you know what it. Thomas? You know what Thomas Dolby did? He blinded you with science. Oh, hey, oh, oh, hey. Thanks, thanks oh, very much. Oh. Yeah, it's it's not good, is it? It's not remotely good. What's your number one awful album by a great artist, Jules? I happened to be somewhere in a record emporium a few years ago, which I visit regularly, and they like me, and I like them, and it's always nice to be around them. And um, somebody put on Metal Machine music, which I said, off, off, turn it off now, yeah. don't care, turn it off now, get it off, no one wants to buy that, turn it off now, please, thanks. Um, why was this made? I don't understand why Metal Machine music by Lou Reed was made. What is going on? I mean, interestingly, they picked Mistrial by him for this top 50 list. Why would you not just pick Metal Machine music? <laughs> it's it's terrible. It's not, I'm it not really even is. convinced it's music. You know, a, a, what a disappointment. If you've heard The Marvelous Transformer, a genuinely great sort of post-punk rock album, Oh God! No, don't it's a man ever gone ma- mad, isn't don't it? Don't ever make me listen to metal machine music ever again. It was between that and Two Virgins by John, John and Yoko in terms of you know records I will never hear again knowingly. And actually, I'm likely to destroy whatever device is playing it if I happen to be in the same room. Just don't. Why would anybody make me listen to this, Terence? Why would anybody think that you could commercially release metal machine music and people would buy it and not bin it straight away? It's it's not good. I'm no, no, Terence, just no. Stop it, it's Lou. It's absolute madness from beginning to end because, first of all, why would Lou Reed uh, just bring this together and think, well, this is this is a great product to put out? Why exactly. Rec- people are going to love this. Yeah. Exactly. Why didn't the record company say, uh, Lou, um, actually, what should we talk about this, you know, uh, after the weekend? Uh, and yeah, you know, exactly. Dissuade we'll see you next him. week, Lou. Yeah. Absolutely dreadful piece uh, of uh, on RCA Victor, although best summed up by Wikipedia, um, you know, they have different genres for things and they yes. have genres, you know, sort of chamber pop or dream pop. The only genre listed for this is noise. And I think that, that <laughs> is, as, 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 it, yeah. you know, as good a summary as any. Yes, it, it's you know if you um, enjoy uh, the sound of um, a pneumatic drill going on outside your house at five o'clock in the morning, then you may actually warm to make This is the record music. for you, but if yeah. you like anything that involves music, not <laughs> yes, so much. Absolutely. I fear I'm going to be seen as controversial here, but I really uh-oh, believe uh-oh. this. The worst album ever by a great artist is the White Album by the. <laughs> What are you uh, doing, uh, Terence? Uh, I listened again to it, it this week. It's, it's self-conceited, mm. bloated horror. <gasps> Night, I, I made a note. I have a, I have a piece of paper here next you to me. You have in your hand a piece. I of have paper in my hand a piece of paper. Which, ironically, because I think war's about to break out here, so it yes. turns out that that you know you might be like Neville after all. Yeah. I don't think there will be peace in our time. Yeah, exactly. I spoke to the. German Chancellor, and we mm. came up. No, I um the nineteen. I wrote down nineteen, and I won't list them all. Uh, we'll yeah. be here till midnight. A nineteen of thirty tracks are unlistenable, and I'm betting even the most ardent fan skips plenty of tracks. They they mm. suddenly blind George Martin. He went on holiday while they made this. Yes, 
basically, uh, um, it's, it's, a, it, it's a period of total self-indulgence. Jeff Emmerich left as well. Ringo quit for two weeks. It's a shambles of an album. And sides two, three and four are the worst. Mm. It goes from the awful piggies to the hideous Revolution 9. So two thirds of a 30 track album that is just junk. Um and it's such a shame because their time in Rishikesh, this was been back mm. from Rishikesh a matter of days almost. Almost immediately, all of that time and insight became meaningless. And, you know, this rather self-indulgent, surreal, experimental album followed. I mean, it is a blip because it had Sgt. Pepper before it and Abbey Road after it, but mm. a terrible album by the world's greatest. Well, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I would try and defend it. But then, for as long as I can remember, my way of bonding with fellow music fans with whom I've become friends is to make each other a CD of, or rather, one side of a tape of what would you keep off the White Album and what would you dump. But I always find it interesting to see what people keep and what people dump, because there's some crossover, but not all, always. It's got some of their best work on this. That's the frustrating thing about it. Happiness is a Warm Gun is probably in my top five Beatles songs, and one of those the unusual moments during those sessions where they actually play as a four and is genuinely really good as a result. Um, Ian McDonald's uh, Revolution in the Head, mm. the sort of definitive text, once described Piggies as an embarrassing blot on George Harrison's discography. And I think that's probably not unfair, is it? I mean, there is an element of will this do about a lot of this. I don't it disagree. Is. For example, the fact that Savoy Truffle, um, oh. two thirds of that is the menu from a chocolate box, isn't it? That Eric Clapton Just- eight in the studio it was like you say possibly a a band that had too much too much time in its hand too much money to do it with um it was originally meant to be called a doll's house apparently um because the aim was that it was like there was sort of things in a different little room like a doll's house and family called their album a doll's house so they decided against it but um which might have been a better description of it but um yeah i can't bring myself to hate it with the vigor that you do sir t but it's it's certainly not their best it's, I think it's another um, uh, example of what we've talked about before, where um, it's and, and probably similar to uh, the Lou Reed album in the sense mm. that um, with Brian Epstein gone and George Martin sidelined and who he went on holiday, there was really nobody there to say, you know, lads, lads. Is this know, a great idea? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Coming next. A trigger warning, because we're talking about trigger warnings. Yes, content note. That's right after a new single from Future Utopia and K Tempest. Heads down, swallow the screen and fill images. Imprint themselves, big world, little villagers. Living the dream, dreaming of waking. Who isn't afraid of things changing?
is the nom de plume of producer Fraser T. Smith and this is the lead track from his upcoming EP. Um, He's teamed up here with the splendid K Tempest, the new single We Were, We Still Are. Yeah, very much like that. Uh, Always pleased to hear from K Tempest in various different manifestations. First uh, got into their work in Sound of Rum, who was an excellent sort of three piece from about 10 years ago. Um, But yeah, always worth listening to K Tempest. Mm. There's always, always stuff along. Trigger warnings. Don't you just hate them? Um, (laughs) Yeah, thanks thanks Terence Slag from the uh, the private eye there. That's great. Mood spoilers, some might call them virtue signalling, just to prove how woke and snowflakey we all are now. On the other hand, maybe we need to be given a friendly warning that an upcoming play or film Mm. or TV show or book contains issues that might make us bring up traumatic memories. We've had trigger warnings added to works by Dickens, Chaucer and Shakespeare in universities because of what they call challenging content. Content. Uh, the young Vic in London is about to produce a revival of Zinni Harris's that's not you, is it? Under a nom de plume, Zinni Harris? No, no. It, 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 I mean, it, it, who knows? It might have been, and I might have forgotten. It's quite possible. <laughs> Zinni Harris is further than the furthest thing, and the theatre is warning audiences about uh, several aspects of this. They say the play will contain strong language, themes of climate displacement and xenophobia, mental illness. Mm death and violence well, and that sounds fun- like quite a night out doesn't it let's <laughs> all go i'll buy some magnums for the for the theater it sounds great their final piece of advice is this show involves the handling of cooked egg is this political correctness gone mad jules I mean, I have to say, I was very nonplussed by this when I first read it. I did think, and, and in typical daily, the Daily Mail style, it's, this is a headline. It involves cooked eggs handled. And then, of course, when you when you scroll down and read through, it says there is a warning for anyone with an egg allergy because cooked eggs are handled during the show. And actually, when you say put it like that, who knows what can go wrong when you're on the stage and also i didn't realize this there are people that i know that are so allergic to nuts that there are certain places they can't they literally can't be in a room that's had nuts in it because they are that allergic to to getting anaphylactic shock it's very very rare but it does happen so i do have a little bit of sympathy for wanting to be careful around allergies because what if you sat in the front row and you're allergic to eggs i mean you know it's it's so it does sound ridiculous but actually when you unpack it like that and i think they deliberately buried that the daily mail three quarters of the way down the story once you read that you think yeah that does make sense actually that that does make perfect sense um i went to see i can't remember we talked about some I went to see Prima, uh, Prima Facie, the excellent National Theatre production with Jodie Comer in it. 
who is currently hoovering up the theatre awards for this, and rightly so. They've gone to Broadway, I think. Um, it's a, a phenomenal debut performance on the. She'd never acted on the stage before, and that was just incredible. And we went to see a National Theatre Live script. Well, I went twice actually to see it at various cinemas, and it was really. Um, what I thought was really good was they dealt. It's about very serious issues of consent, and the trigger warnings I thought were done really sensitively and really well and there was a little discussion piece chaired by Emily Maitlis beforehand and it was done beautifully I think and I think that if you are dealing with stuff that is you know that that does have things that can bring back terrible memories of experiences it's a difficult one you don't want to give away the whole plot of a play so if you don't want to give away the whole plot of a play I think it's right to have a content note of themes in it because people can decide if it's for them or not and I think that's I think that's and if people decide it's not for them, fine. OK, but, you know, that, that's good. I'm glad they know that. But yes, the handling of cooked eggs seems seems as a strange nanny state thing at first. When you think, oh, yeah, for people with allergies. Yes. Having known someone that cannot sit in a front room if someone's had a peanut butter sandwich, that does actually make sense. I have a very strong view on this and I speak as someone who avoids things like horror films and any news story that involves cruelty or violence to Mm. children or animals. Yes, fair enough. I find these images and stories stay with me for years, never mind days or weeks. Um, I'm very sensitive about this sort of thing and I find it so sad and silly that people get worked up worked up into a, a froth about this it is considerate and kind yes. to let people know that a film or a book may trigger awful memories as someone for for instance who had a bit of a grim childhood i'm mm. grateful very grateful for warnings that a news item or tv production may remind me of circumstances yes. i don't want to bring forward no um, exactly if you, and I think you, you, you said this very well. If you're not touched by certain issues yourself, just why not give a moment's thought to people yeah. who are affected? Completely agree. Although having said that, I did make a joke about them earlier in the week, but I do I do stick <laughs> with this. I mean, they can go. They can sometimes go a little bit. Well, maybe this is just being snobbish. I don't know. If it's a tea. Maybe you can judge me on this. You can be my <laughs> judge, jury and executioner. Okay. Or as my friend put it, my judge, Judy and executioner. Um. I, so I've quoted this first of March 2018. It came up on my Facebook memories yesterday. Please note that Macbeth may contain scenes of a violent nature. Thank God you warned me, NT Live website. I was expecting the Care Bears. So I do get that there are certain sort of plays that will. <laughs> I mean, I thought that people would generally have a working knowledge of Macbeth. Maybe that is just me being a snob. I don't know. I did it in year. I did it in year eight at school, and we weren't actually trigger warned then, if I remember correctly. We did have to read the murder out in class, but um, yeah. Like you say, and I completely agree with you on this. I just think, what harm is it doing you if there is a two sentence thing at the beginning? And, exactly. and it's a different argument to the one that we've had previously, which is whether or not you should repeat things for the past, whether or not there should be cards contextualizing things like 40 tales and stuff like that. It's a different issue. I don't think it's unkind. People, and no one's saying, oh, you can't, you know, you always imagine the stories, can't you? Oh, you can't even write about certain things anymore. No, no one's saying you can't write about certain things. Prima facie itself is about, you know, it is about serious assault. It's about life changing assault. 
it's a really powerful play that I think everyone should see. And they're doing workshops with it with teenage kids in schools. And it's really it's a really important piece of work. But it's about something that's really horrible. But if you're likely to have an audience of young women, which if you've got Jodie Comer in something, you probably will, because that is her audience because of Killing Eve. If you've got someone like her in it and you're going to have this audience of youngish women that were of a similar age to Jodie Comer, violence and sexual violence is so pervasive in society it's just depressingly everywhere and people and i'm mostly men i exempt you from this city because you're very sensitive <laughs> and you understand but yeah. there are many men that just don't believe that it happens to the extent that it does mm. either either that they think it's okay somehow or that they just or they just are blind to it and you know it, it as it says in it, it's one in three one in three women will experience some sort of thing like this. It is perfectly, it needs to be written and it needs to be said and people need to see it. But equally, if you're going to deal with a, you know, if you're going to deal with themes that are that serious and that upsetting, it is perfectly right. And you should be putting three sentences at the beginning as they, as the producers of that play very mm. carefully and well did. And to have a discussion beforehand and to just really, you know, so that we could all experience that piece of an hour and a half, which was just an hour and a half of Jodie Comer nonstop, and it's phenomenal. Um, you know, but what if, what if one of the one in three was sat in my row, and and you know, so I think that it's, I think that it's exactly the right thing to do, and if people are mocking it, I think they need to look at their own lives, City. Oh, I salute the young Vic for doing this today mm. and for caring enough to yes, exactly. uh, let people know. I've no issue with it at all in that sense. Indeed. Um, I, I link this next bit also to the hysteria people get worked up into about trigger warnings. Uh, a few minutes ago, we heard from Kay Tempest, who yes, is non-binary and wants to be referred to as they, them. Now, earlier this week, there was a right old hoo-ha at a meeting at Newham Council in London. It was videoed and it was widely shared on social media. Media went viral, as they say. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it was where rather mature members of the council, Newham Council, continually forgot to use they, them when speaking to and about Green Party leader Danny Keeling, who is non-binary and wishes to use they them. This now this too has caused a, a division of thought, and I just wondered if you have an idea of the resolution to this one, Jules. Well, I mean, it's it's. Um, I mean, I, I have real sympathy here. Um, if you are a a, a sort of young councillor, those places can be very intimidated places, and I can imagine if you're um you know if it's been if it's been a recentish thing for you that you might be feeling sensitive around it equally for as you put it so beautifully more mature members i mean trans people just ha have to suffer non-binary people just have to suffer the worst abuse in our society it feels like they're othered by everybody sometimes i have a lot of trans friends and non-binary friends and you know i i will go into bat for them every single day this farcical sequence of videos was very was just very very unfortunate and I have to say if I'd done it twice in a sentence I would be 
digging my nails into the palms of my hands to make sure that I did not do it again, frankly, said T. I mean, it kind of gets to the point where it's all, I mean, I feel really sorry for, for Danny, but it gets to the point where it's almost like some terrible farce that everybody keeps trying to, and, it, and it's almost a bit like when someone starts laughing in a serious meeting or when someone starts swearing, all of a sudden everybody catches it. But that does that's not to say it wasn't terrible, terrible for, for Danny to have to sort of experience that. It's really hard isn't it i get that this is a this is a fundamental change you know gendering is a fundamental change but ultimately people are just going to have to deal with it and they're going to have to try and get on board because if you're fighting if you feel as a, as a young non, non-binary person if that's how you wish to live your life i'm just gonna have to remember your pronouns you know yes it might be a very 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 minor inconvenience to me but for god's sake it's nothing compared to having to retool your whole life having to sort of get in touch with who you are although on a on a slightly more humorous note so so i i very much agree i I can see why people are sensitive in their reactions to this and i can see why if it's something you're not used to it takes a while to get used to but can you just try can you just try really really hard even though it's really unnatural but the the invention i think well, to me it feels like the invention of sort of pronoun confusion possibly came from an unlikely source city mm-hmm. the muppet family christmas which was a made for tv <laughs> special now I, that, I mean this is going to sound ridiculous but this yeah. always reminds me of this and my <laughs> mess i've gone to the past um there's a character from sesame street called the two-headed monster who appears <laughs> to be some sort of eastern european which is literally a monster with two heads and they both go hello when that comes in <laughs> and they make um, they, the Muppet Family Christmas is basically sort of the Muppet's greatest hits where they all go on holiday to Fozzie Bear's <laughs> mum's house um, thinking she's uh, thinking she's going to be there. She's trying to go away on a surfing holiday and ends up with all of the Muppets in the house um, and Sesame Street come and do a carol concert and they also go and visit the Fraggles. So like everyone from Jim Henson's Creature Worship and it's really genuinely great. I think it's on YouTube. Oh, maybe we can watch it at Christmas. I would recommend it. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes, it's like the hipster Muppet Christmas Carol. This happened before the Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. And, you know, the VH, we had it on VHS for years before it finally broke. And if you want to know how long it was, long ago it was, the continuity announcement afterwards features Chris Jarvis and Zoe Ball as a 19 year old in a bomber jacket. But there's a moment where they, the cast of, of, of them all perform a play for all of the other Muppets of a production of The Night Before Christmas. And the two headed monster has been cast as Father Christmas. And uh, Fozzie has a go at Kermit asking why he's been cast as Christmas. Father Christmas, to which Kermit replies, he said he'd never been in a play before. I mean, they said they'd never been in a play before. I mean, both of him said it. So I can understand if, you know, Kermit the Frog is a decent guy, isn't he? He has good values. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it, where it's, it's, I don't think that trans and uh, people and non-binary people should have to put up with people deliberately misgendering them. That is a completely wrong thing. And I'm more than willing to accommodate anybody that, well, not just accommodate, it's not accommodating. It's just, it's just the right thing to do. It's, you know, that's, that's who people are. Having said that, I do have a bit of sympathy for the people that got themselves in such a mess here, because it's almost like as soon as you think in a public place with a mic, you're not meant to do something, you end up automatically doing it having said that i have no time at all for people that misgender and people that dead name i think it's a dreadful dreadful practice and they should stop having said that this was really really unfortunate this incident because everyone just got themselves in a complete mess i feel there are two elements to learn here um one is 
Of course, anyone can call themselves anything they want and should be respected for that. And that also includes following their wish to be they them, of course. Yes. The other learning aspect, though, is um, and I I don't mean Danny Keeling here. I'm talking generally Mm. is for the non-binary person. And you touched on this very well to be more understanding if we're all trying to get this right. But perhaps be a little bit more forgiving if people who, and I include myself in this, for 60 years have only been Mm. saying he, him, she, her. We need a little bit more time to remember to get Mm. they, them right. And having seen the video and uh, the the apologies that the uh, men, elderly men, and they mucked up their apologies by again referring to yes. he or him. I, I have a little, no, a fair modicum of sympathy for them because they weren't being deliberately rude and, or and horrible. It's, it's, and it's, and I understand that, and it's tricky. And I think we can, I think we can all tell the difference between people that mean well and people that don't. But having said that, I get that it is. I don't think you or not, you or I, Seti, and I, I completely hear what you're mm. saying. I don't think either of us can really, truly, deeply understand unless we have been through this. This is just true. how emotional this is, and just how upset setting this isn't just how how deep how deep this is to, to your to your sort of identity and when you're having to deal because as a transgendered and non-binary person you are dealing with either abuse or what is known as microaggressions and we can talk about what those are another time or just the lack of understanding if you're having to deal with that constantly which you are and I know you are because I know that 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 you know my 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 brilliant trans and non-gender sort of gender free of uh, gender non-binary gender fluid people have to deal with this constantly I get why you're on high alert I get I get why your emotions are absolutely wired up because it's almost like being on a sort of a constant state of um like waiting for a sort of a, a bomb to go off or something i get why you're living on your nerves which is why which is why it would be which is why perhaps this danny reacted in the emotional way they did i i you know i I, like you say i do understand that it's taking a while to readjust but equally i can understand why why trans and and non-gender so gender free people and non-binary people feel so feel so sensitively about it and i'm not sure that that those of us of the cisgender can ever really truly connect with that yeah, you're absolutely 100% right, of course. I think the um, the only point I'm trying to make is that, I, I for example, um, Sam Smith, who is they, Oh, they, yes. Yeah. And I heard him uh, in an interview recently, and um, he, he got worked up a few weeks ago by um, being misgendered on television. And then I heard him in another interview well i think you uh, heard them but yes okay carry well, on. exactly yeah. do you see yeah. what i mean exactly i knew i was going to do that exactly i heard them in another interview yeah. and even he got it wrong because he oh, was they was trying oh, to say gosh. that they would enjoy another career and he said as a fisherman fisher them fisher them oh yes i remember this it's 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 something so, that we're all grasping with. Although having yeah. said that, it all takes us time to get used to a new identity as well, I think, really. So I have symp- I have sympathy for them. I do quite like this Fisher them as a kind of a yes. as a kind of a of a career. I was thinking that they all work really well, don't they? Post them, bin them, you know, it's it's really great. I'd I would, you know, I it makes me think of um Bart referring to their late their post woman that comes to their house in The Simpsons as the female man, to which uh, to which Lisa says female carrier Bart. 
So, um, so yeah, it's it's. But you it's see how easy it to get wrong. Yeah, I mean, I'm it is easy not to get wrong. And I still said he. Yes, and it's and it's so easy to do. It's 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 tricky. But I, this is one of those situations where I could sort of sympathise. It was sort of like, it was just a, a situation that just was in a really high pressure environment of the council yeah. chamber and just went really really wrong. Having said that, I totally understand the sensitivity of trans people and mm. and uh, and non-binary, and I completely stand by them in that. I you know I have occasionally accidentally misgendered, but again, the, the people that I know always completely get it. If I go you know if you apologise instantly and just try not to do it again, mm. I'm really sorry chaps of a certain vintage just just try, try and do harder. it just yeah. please try just please try your best sorry sam um thanks very much for listening this week good to yes, have you along thank you as always it's lovely to be with you and satya too as well of course too now i don't think we need trigger warnings before either of juliet's <laughs> radio shows well, no, although I, you know, although I did was told there was too much electronica in one of them this week. But anyway, Ooh. um, maybe I should have had some sort of yellow triangle. <laughs> that was, um, well, I do, I do often can, you know, so warning contains modern jazz when I play certain things. But um, yeah, so so I, I like you so rightly say as ever, Sir T. These two radio shows I do for noise box radio, trying to tend towards the calmer end of the spectrum. There's no rapping and things like that. It's all very chill and um, smooth sailing on. Sunday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. Um, yacht Rock, Alt Rock, uh, sort of not Alt Rock, Yacht Rock, M-O-R, A-O-R, uh, Easy Listening, Classic Pop, that sort of thing. Magic FM on a very small budget. And uh, Lost of Words, instrumentals of all kinds, nothing of which is too out there. Although there, there, occasionally we do have a bit of squawky modern jazz, which people <laughs> complain about, and I continue to play because I want to. But uh, that's 8 or 9 p.m. on Thursday evenings, or you can catch a repeat from 11 till 12 on Tuesdays. And if you want to hear previous shows, all of the stuff we do on Newsbox is on Mixcloud.com. If you search for Noisebox Radio, you can find all the old shows there. An unusual slice of Scottish indie to play us out. Yes, this is very unusual, isn't it? Mm. Um, I really like this. And it's one of the lost, it's one of the real lost classics of, of 90s indie, I think. In amongst all of the big Britpop, like Ready to Go, all of the big commercial sort of Britpoppy things, you had this from Arab Strap, Malcolm Middleton and Aidan Moffat um, from Scotland. And a description of a weekend night out, which seemed to really happen. And you can actually date it in time to the 10th of June. In 1996 because it references England beating Scotland 2-0 at the Euros so this is a genuine historical artefact Sir T I think I just I love this I think it is so the, the spoken word is intriguing and when the song kicks in I find it genuinely euphoric it's got a chorus that is sung by someone who can't really sing if we're if we're honest but if, if anything that makes it even better it makes it the ultimate slightly shambolic record in in a Fair and just and proper world city. This would have been number one for a very long time. It wasn't, but it is number one in my heart. This is Arab Strap and the first big weekend. So that was the first big weekend of the summer. Starts Thursday as usual with a canteen quiz, and again, no one wins a big cash prize. Later, I do my sound bloke routine by approaching Gina's new boyfriend to say that he shouldn't feel there's any animosity between us, and then I even go and make peace with her. Shouldn't have bothered. Then on Friday night we went through the arches.
There was only one car going, so someone had to get the train. We got through quite late, and we went to a pub to take the gear. There was no problems getting in, we saw others waiting in the front of the queue, so we skipped in. It was a good night, everyone was nutted and I ended up dancing with some blonde girl. I thought she had been quite pretty until last night when Matthew informed me she had in fact been a pig. When the club finished we wandered the streets for a while until we got to this 24 hour cafe. I didn't like look at it so we left and got a taxi back to Morag's flat. I couldn't sleep, so I sat about drinking someone else's strawberry tonic wine and tried to keep everyone else up. Then at 10 o'clock in the morning we went downstairs to buy some drink. We had intended to watch a football in the afternoon but we passed it by then slept right through it. I winked to find the English on 1-2-0 Then we went to get the train home, had a few in the station bar We had some stuff left for the previous night's supplies so we When we got home we decided to go down to John's Indie Disco Same story as Friday, lots of hugging, lots of dancing etc etc We couldn't sleep again so we went to the park to look at the tomb Take their detour through the play park To get in we had to climb over a 10 foot steel fence Which resulted in severe bruising with our hands, legs and groins Good laugh on the stuff, especially the tube slide, which probably doubles up as a urinal for drunk teens. Then we walked through the woods to look at the tomb. It was a big disappointment, but the mist on the lake was cool. Sunday afternoon, we got to John's with a lot of beer and time to watch The Simpsons. It was a really good episode about love was ended in tragedy, except, of course, for Margin Hall. It was quite moving at the end, and to tell you the truth, my eyes were a bit damp.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>